So, Christian baptism is really a, a very interesting subject because there's just a lot of different opinions on it. There are a lot of different ways that uh, people baptize. Uh, there are different opinions on when a person should be baptized. There are certain denominations that baptize babies, others that, that do not. And um, so I've been saved now for 22 years, coming up on 23 in January. And this happens to be a topic within the church that I think um, the church has kind of lost sight of its importance. Instead of even really understanding what baptism is, we're fighting about when do you do it? How old do you have to be? Do you baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Or do you baptize in Jesus' name? Or do you baptize in both? Uh, and what we, we, we've, I've just noticed that, at least in my observation, baptism in a lot of ways has almost just become something people do. And, and I'll tell you, I, I've talked to multitudes, literally hundreds, maybe thousands at this point in time of people that just went through the motion because it was what you're supposed to do in church. It's what you do. And, and, and years later, they come and they're talking to me and they're saying, Pastor, yeah, you know, I, I did that when I was, you know, four. Um, I had someone recently tell me their, their mother baptized them when they were six months old. And there's just a lot of confusion on the topic. And so what I would like to do today, I want to talk about the spiritual nature of baptism and what baptism really means, what, what it's all about. And I'm going to share with you um, four very important things about baptism. I meant to have notes out. If you're a note taker, I did get notes this morning. If you walked in and didn't see them, do not hesitate to get up out of your seat. Go get the notes, take notes, because you might want to take notes this morning if you're a note taker. So let's start with the first thing that we need to understand uh, spiritually in the Word of God, and I'm going to finish up with how all this relates to baptism. Number one, you belong to either God's kingdom or you belong to Satan's kingdom. It's the first thing I want us to understand this morning. You belong to a kingdom. Whether you're conscious of it or not, it's sort of like a child being born as an American citizen. They literally belong to America. They have rights within the country. They are born citizens so long as they are born here on this ground. Child might not be conscious of that, have absolutely no understanding what in the world that means, no understanding of the laws of the land, no understanding of any of it, but it doesn't change the fact that by birth they were born into a kingdom. The Bible teaches us there are only Two kingdoms, and you either belong to one or you belong to the other. You belong to God's kingdom or you belong to Satan's kingdom. Near the end of Jesus' life, when he was arrested, and uh, near the end of his life, literally the last 24 hours of his life, he's brought before Pilate. The Jews are trying to tell Pilate that Jesus is trying to bring up some kingdom and, and trying to thwart the, the rule of Caesar, and so Pilate comes to talk to Jesus about this, and I want to pay attention to some things Jesus says here. In John chapter 18, beginning in verse 33, it says that Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus. 
and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So the kingdom of this world is not the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us that Satan, working through flesh, working through fallen mankind, it teaches us that Satan is the prince of the world. That means he rules the world system. He rules the general way of mankind. And so there are two kingdoms, one that is not of this world, and that is the kingdom that Jesus Christ is the king of, and then there is the kingdom of this world, which is a kingdom currently ruled by Satan. Now, in order to belong to God's kingdom, somehow, some way, we have to be brought out of Satan's. We are all born into the world. Citizens of the world, ruled by the, 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 the general principles of Satan's kingdom. Selfishness, lying, deceit, pride, lust, sin. In one word, sin. We are all ruled by it. It is the ruling factor of Satan's kingdom. You need to understand this morning there are only two kingdoms and you belong to one or the other. Another way that the Word of God teaches this concept, number two this morning, is that you are either of the new creation or you still belong to the old creation. The Bible teaches there are only two creations, the old and the new. In Revelation 21 and verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. First Peter also teaches us that eventually there will come a time when the earth and the elements thereof, everything that's of this earth, that it will burn and be destroyed. It will burn with a fervent heat. That's the, that's the statement that Peter used. And this teaches us something about God. God is not interested in changing the old creation. There will be no renewal of the old creation. The Bible teaches us ultimately that God is creating something altogether new. 
And so it's not the old that God's changing. It's not the world around us that's eventually going to get better. Jesus isn't going to come back and change all that is evil. No, there will ultimately be a destruction of all that is old, and God will usher in something entirely new. And it teaches us the importance of understanding that nothing from the old can be brought into the new. We can't bring anything of the old nature, of the old creation, of the old way into God's kingdom. God has no use for it. In fact, God's estimation of all that is old, we see in the cross. God said all of it is good. The old man, the old nature, the old way, the old creation is good for nothing but death. When we see God's answer of Jesus hanging on the cross, we see God's estimation, God's verdict of everything from the old way, the old creation. And so the Bible teaches us there are only two creations. Paul gives no question as to which kingdom or creation the Christian belongs to. Here's what he told the church in Colossus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Go ahead and leave that passage up for just a moment. I'm going to, get, I'm going to go here when we get to baptism in a moment, but I want you to just like see some things in the word of God here. Number one, who's the one that transferred us? Who's the one that does the delivering? Who's the one that takes somebody from the old creation and puts them into the new? Who's, some, who's the one who takes somebody that belongs to Satan's kingdom and transfers them to God's kingdom? God's the only one that can do it. It is not just some conscious choice where, like, I don't think I want to be part of this kingdom anymore. I'm going to join this one. You don't just get to make that choice. Something supernatural must happen that allows the transfer. And we'll get there in a little bit. Trust me, I'm going to get there. I'm going to answer, how does this happen? But what I want you to see for now is, clearly, God's the one that does it. He, and notice the term, it is a final term, not he will, not one day it's going to happen, but for the child of God, he has. It's done. He has transferred us from the old to the new. He has transferred us from the dominion of darkness, that's another term for Satan's kingdom, into God's kingdom. But in order to bring us into a new kingdom, God has to do something new in us. He must make us new creatures. And that is exactly what the Bible teaches happens. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We see God is interested in making something new. That's what God is out to do. That's what God does. He does not necessarily change the old. He gives something new. In fact, this is one of the confusing things about being truly born again is that the old nature does not change. But simultaneously, I have a 
new nature. And the new nature hungers for the things of God, desires to please God, wants to live for God. The new nature is grieved by sin. The new nature is grieved by all that is evil. And when you're truly born again, you know that this new nature has come to life in you. It's like God literally has taken his life, the life of his son, and engrafted it into your heart. And you are a new creation. The old things pass away. They no longer have control over you. Unless we are created anew, we can never fit into the new realm. I will tell you, there is absolutely nothing that's more exhausting than trying to pretend to be a Christian. Man, there's nothing more exhausting than trying to follow Jesus without a new nature. Simply out of shame, because you're conscious, you know you're a sinner, and you know that God is good, but you don't have a new nature, you've never actually been born again, and you're just trying to be a Christian trying to do the Christian thing, trying to go to church, trying to pretend you like being here, trying to pretend you like hearing the Word of God, trying to pretend you like reading it, trying to pretend you want to pray. It's exhausting. And there are millions of people who truly fall into that category who have never been born again trying to do the Christian life, trying to be a Christian without ever having truly been born again. And in order for us to truly be transferred for the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, in order for us to truly be transferred from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom, from the old to the new, in order for that to happen, God must do something new in us. Which brings me to the third point. You are either born of the Spirit or you are only Born of the flesh. Jesus said in John 3, 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Paul expands on this in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 when he says, I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You must be born again. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You you have to be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus was confused by the statement. A lot of people today are still confused by the statement. What you know, born again. Nicodemus asked the question, what, what, what am I and listen, Nicodemus was being honest with Jesus. Nicodemus wanted to know how do I know your way? Nicodemus was not being snarky. Nicodemus was not being sarcastic. But Nicodemus said to Jesus, how am I going to be born again? What am I I supposed to enter into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And then Jesus answers and says, no, 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 Nicodemus, I'm speaking of being born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It still belongs to Satan's kingdom. You must be born again. Now here's the great important lesson here. No matter how educated the flesh may be. No matter how refined the flesh may be. 
no matter how tame the tongue may be, flesh is still flesh. You cannot make the flesh good enough to somehow make it belong to the other kingdom. You see, it's not really a question of good or bad. It's a question of old or new, flesh or spirit, God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom. That's the question. It's not really a question of are you a good man or a bad man. I mean, we can get technical about it, and Jesus said no, no man's good, and so yeah, we can say, well, everybody's bad. Okay, good, good enough. But listen, sinners don't buy that. I know some really good sinners. Quite frankly, I know some moral sinners that tend to have more integrity than a lot of people who wave the Christian flag. I just do. You do too. It's not a question of good or bad or how much better you are than you are bad. The Bible teaches us, plain and simple, it's a question of two kingdoms. It's a question of two realms. It's a question of the old or the new. It's a question of the flesh or the spirit. You must be born again. You must be a new creation. Only when we truly understand that God is seeking something altogether new will we come to see we cannot bring anything of the old into God's kingdom. We don't have anything to offer. We need God to make us new like a miracle needs to happen in me where God makes me a new person, where God gives me a new nature. I've got to realize that I have nothing to offer to God. You know, I truly believe this is one of the reasons that often the greatest sinners have the greatest commitment to the Lord. Once they're saved. I, I believe this is why often sometimes the greatest sinners, their transformation happens faster. They go from like being really, really completely depraved to all of a sudden, poof, they're serving God with all their heart. And it's because they, come, they don't have any pride left. It's like, I know that I'm a terrible, horrible person and I have absolutely nothing to offer to God as opposed to the man that thinks he has a lot to offer to God, as opposed to the man or the woman that thinks, well, I suppose if I decided to be a Christian, it would really help that church. I mean, they could certainly use a person like me. Yet you will see that person thinks they have something from their old realm, their old nature, that they can somehow bring into the new realm. And when we, we have got to come to see, God's not, God doesn't want to do anything with the old except destroy it. That's God's estimation of it. So we are now new creatures with a new nature, a new set of faculties, a new set of desires. Therefore, we can enter a new kingdom and a new world. But how? How does this happen? How does one go from one realm to the other? I'm going to take about 10 minutes to explain the answer. First, I will give you the answer in two words. 
then I want to explain my answer. How does a person supernaturally transfer from one realm to the other? Here's the answer in two words, the cross. That's how it happens, the cross. But what does that mean? How does that work? Galatians 6.14, Paul said, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Paul says, I really have nothing to boast in except the cross. Not my intelligence, not my my ability to somehow find my way to God, not the fact that somehow I tipped the scales and eventually God decided that I was worthy to be saved. He said, I have nothing to boast about, nothing that can explain how in the world a sinner like me could be called a child of God except the cross. It is through the cross. The cross was the means used by God to bring an end to the old things. When you read on in Romans chapter 6, we learn that the old nature, God sees as crucified in Christ. It's already done. The greatest negative in the universe is the cross. Because through the cross, God declared that he has wiped out everything that is not of himself. There is another uh, parallel in the Bible of, of two, just two options. Either you're in Adam or you're in Christ. That's another. Sometimes it's called the first Adam and the second Adam. But you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. At the cross, God said, there as Jesus hangs and dies, that is where I see everything that is of the old. All of your sins, all of your evil thoughts, all of your evil intentions, all of your wickedness, not, not only your sins, the things you've done, but your very sin nature, that old man, God says, I see, and, and, and I want you to pay attention now as we go forward to the word in, in. God says, I see you in Christ, as in inside of him, as in being part of him. So what happened to Christ? As a Christian, what happened to Christ? God says, that happened to me. That's why Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. If you were a Christian, you were crucified with Christ. This is God's estimation of it. This is what God says about the matter in Romans chapter 6 repeatedly and elsewhere in Scripture. But in Romans chapter 6 repeatedly, we were crucified in Christ. And so the cross is the greatest negative because God says inside of that, what happened at the cross is where I wiped out all that is evil. And there is no way for all that you have done, all the sins you've committed, all the wickedness that you've thought, all the evil that is inside of you to ever be dealt with anywhere other than in the cross. And here's the blessed truth about it. God, it's already been done. Jesus has already been crucified. And so 
Baptism represents two things. It represents the cross. It represents death. But it does not stop there. It represents new life. So the greatest positive in the universe was the resurrection. Jesus hung and bled on the cross. He died. He was buried. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And through rising from the dead... God brings us into the new realm. I want you to go back now to Romans 6, 4. We read this in our, in, in our introduction. But I want us to look at how the cross, or being baptized into Christ, you might say, puts us with him in the cross, on the cross, and with him at resurrection. Romans 6, 4. We were buried. That's past tense. Would you agree? God says it's a done fact, folks. We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in the newness of life. You see it? On one hand, we are buried with him in death, but we are also resurrected with him in new life. Now, this term baptism, I want to I provide some context to it. Baptism, the, the word itself does mean to be immersed, to be surrounded by a thing. And so when it says we were baptized into Christ, understand something. I think this is where it gets confusing sometimes. It does not mean that at the moment a person goes into the water that somehow something supernatural happens then, and then they become in Christ. That's not what it means. The word baptism simply means to be immersed, to be surrounded by. And what it's telling us is there is this supernatural act when we are born again where God literally sees you and I in Christ. It's like a miracle, like I'm inside of him. The same way that when I go down in the water and that water surrounds me, God says just as immersed in that water as you are, that's how immersed you are in Christ on the cross. You are in Him. It's a supernatural thing that God sees us that way. And so I understand because I am in Christ that when God looks at me, He has to look through Christ to see me. If you are baptized in this water, so long as you are immersed in that water, the only way for anybody to see you is to walk up here and look through the water to see you in the water, submerged by it. God says this is the supernatural act of being in Christ. And therefore, I am baptized not in water, I am baptized in Christ, and that, folks, is what saves me. Baptism is a symbol of that. Baptism is it's the, it's like the best thing we have to give this physical symbol of what happens supernaturally. It is a picture of, of all that is old going down and the old me going down and the new person coming to life, but it is a symbol of something that has already happened miraculously 
when I become born again. It is a blessed thing to see that the cross, it ends all that belongs to the old creation. And the resurrection introduces all that belongs to the new creation. That's where my new life starts is at resurrection. So we now have two worlds before us, the old and the new. In the old world, Satan has absolute dominion. You might be a good man in the old creation. But as long as you are of the old, you are under the sentence of death. Because nothing from the old can come into the new. The cross is God's declaration that all that is of the old creation must die. So this brings me now to the subject of baptism. I ask the question again, how do we get from one world to the other, right? The answer is the cross. So I want to say it this way. We enter the kingdom of God only through Jesus Christ. That is the only way we enter the kingdom of God. Jesus even said it himself, no man comes to the Father except through me. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Let's look at it again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that we too might walk in the newness of life. I want you to notice the significance of these words. Baptism in Scripture is associated with salvation. The act of baptism itself doesn't save anybody. But it is associated with salvation because when we are truly saved, we have to be baptized into Christ. You can see it's possible, though, to dunk a person in water who's never been baptized into Christ. And when that's the case, you can dunk them all day long. Nothing's going to happen. Because this is meant to be two things. A symbol of a burial, right? We were buried with Christ. And resurrection. Well, let's talk about burial. Who do you bury? Dead people. And in fact, as long as somebody has a single thread of hope. We'll put them on life support. I mean, we will do anything we can to keep them from dying. Burial is only for the dead. And so baptism is meant to be this declaration to the world. The old me has died. It's time for a funeral. The old me was crucified in Christ. The old me, because I had been baptized into Christ, was crucified with Christ, and the old me no longer rules this life. I have risen to new life. You go down into the water, and your world, your old life, your in, in figure, it goes down with you. You come up in Christ. But the old world, the old you is drowned. We see it's clear that baptism is not some 
you know, simple dunking in water. It's not, it's not a question of, of a cop or, or, or the immersion. It, is, it, it relates to us being in Christ. It is this declaration that Jesus' cross was not only an individual cross for him, though it was that. But it was also an all-inclusive cross. We could call it a corporate cross where we were included in that cross. Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, that cross was your cross. When God looks to see, has your debt been paid? Have your sins been atoned for? Have your wrongs been righted? God doesn't look to you. He looks at the cross. Are you in Christ or not? It is such an amazing miracle that God says, I will deal with you, and I will deal with you, Joplin, and I will deal with you, church, by seeing you as in Christ, baptized into him, so that when he died, you died. So that when he was paying on that cross, you paid. So that when he was risen to life, you might have new life. It is all about being in Christ. And so what is my answer to God's verdict of the old creation? I say, God, I agree with you. It's good for nothing but death. And I'm willing to die to myself. That's why Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me. My verdict is, God, I agree with you. There is nothing good of the old. There is nothing good of the flesh. There is nothing good in this world. It is ruled by the prince of the air, Satan himself. And I declare it all death. And I I publicly make that declaration with my baptism. That I have died, as Paul said, I have died to the world. I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. Jesus said in Luke 9 and 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus died for you and Jesus died for me. Jesus died for us. But then he invites us to die to ourselves too. To take up our own cross to acknowledge that all that is of the old cannot enter to the new and that we need new life. Our baptism into Christ does not stop at death. In Him, we also rise from the dead into the newness of life. I want to close focusing on that. Resurrection unto newness of life. Romans 6, 5, we've already read it, but I want to read it again. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Just as God has placed us in Christ at his death, God has placed us in Christ through the resurrection. God has given me a new nature. God has implanted the life of his son into me. I don't know how it's done, but believe me, I know that it is done. 
You won't know necessarily how God does it, but you will know when God does it. And you'll know where he did it. John chapter 3, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We cannot tell or explain necessarily how God has done His work in us. But it is done. We can tell where it was done. It was done at the cross. That's where it was done. I can't explain exactly all the miracle of how God sees me there. How that moment 2,000 years ago nearly when Jesus hung on a cross was the moment that God dealt with my sins. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it too, folks. But I know this. I know what happened when God gave me a new nature and changed this, uh, gave me a new heart and a new desire that hungered for Him. I can tell you when the old man was, was died in my life, and what I can tell you is that where God did it, when it all happened, it happened at the cross. My only hope is why Paul could say, how can I boast in anything but Christ? How can I brag about anything but being in Christ? It is all about being in Him and in Him alone. It's not that my old life has changed. It's that God has given me altogether a new one. Today, that's what we're celebrating with baptism. As our worship team gets in place this morning, we're going to sing a final song of just worship and and maybe even invitation this morning. Time of response. I want to close with a few questions this morning. What world are you of? The old or the new? What kingdom do you belong to? God's kingdom or Satan's? Of what are you born? Of the flesh only? Or have you been born again? Born of the Spirit? This morning, if you can say sincerely, I belong to the new kingdom. I know that I do. I've been born again. I've got a new nature. I belong to God's kingdom. I want to encourage you this morning to take some time to stop and meditate on that as we worship. Because it is an absolute miraculous thing. It's I'm studying these notes, and I'm thinking about preaching this this morning, and I'm just like, I'm mind blown, you know? Like, I'm like, this is, it's amazing what God has done. It's It's amazing the miracle of salvation. It's amazing how complete God's plan is. It's all in Christ, and as long as I'm in Him, folks, that's all that matters. It's done, it's dealt with, it's official, it's It's amazing. And I think we as Christians sometimes, we need to stop and just truly remember that and give God some thanks and some praise for the miracle of being baptized into Christ Jesus. But you might be here this morning as you heard this preacher preach. In the depth of your soul, you know this whole thing's never been more than religion to you. 
When I spoke about how hard it is to do the Christian thing while you're still part of the old creation with the old nature under the old dominion, you're like, man, that is me, dude. You were reading my mail. Listen to me this morning. You must be born again. And Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. He demonstrated it on the cross. And you can be born again this morning. You do not have to understand how it all works. 23 years later, I don't understand how it all works, but I know that it works. I know that God changes people. I know that He saves people. I know that He gives a new nature. And to keep it from being super or, or overcomplicated this morning, I want you to listen to one sentence out of Romans 10.10. For with the heart one believes and is justified. We become in right standing with God, justified before God. When we believe with the heart and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. You will never see a more clear, simple sentence in the Word of God that says, here's how you got to be saved. It's a matter of true belief in the heart. I believe that Jesus is who Jesus said that He is. I believe it. I don't understand it all, but I believe. I believe that He rose from the dead. And I'm willing to confess with this mouth that, God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. This morning, if that is you, when we begin to sing, when we begin to worship, I plead with you. You kneel before God this morning, and you call out to Him, and you confess your sins to Him, and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins. You put your faith, believe in all of your heart that Jesus is the only way to the Father.